Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by Goliath Technologies and Liquidware. Believe me, I'm not exaggerating when I say the podcast would not be possible without their continued support and sponsorship. So if you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. TheVerge.com reported this week that Microsoft have already started testing a version of Windows 10 that won't be released until 2020. This is unusual given the current development and testing cycles used for Windows 10 releases, and it's said that this particular version requires more lead time due to certain changes to the operating system. What that is, is not included in the report, but it's interesting. I have often wondered if Windows 10 truly is meant to be the final version of the Windows desktop operating system, at some point there is going to be a pretty significant leap, and with that will come much risk just like any other major version upgrade, like say Windows 7 to Windows 10 or Windows XP to Windows 7. Hell, already other releases of Win 10, be it like V1803, V1809, have broken third-party apps. But with that said, seeing as though they have broken third-party apps, and those were just part of the regular Windows 10 release cadence, it makes me wonder even more, what's changing that's so significant in this future release that they need to give it such great lead time. I guess we'll have to just wait and see. Microsoft have made their account guard product available to 12 more countries. These include France, Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Netherlands, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Portugal, Slovakia, and Spain. The service was already available in the US, Canada, Ireland, and the UK. If you're not familiar with it, Account Guard is a cybersecurity service available at no extra cost to all political candidates, parties, and campaign offices operating at a local or national level. It is also available to think tanks, nonprofits, and non governmental organizations working on issues related to democracy and electoral integrity. Microsoft Account Guard is offered free of charge to organizations who use Office 365. The timing of the service being made available to these countries are in line with increased cyber threats in an attempt to interfere with the democratic process in Europe. Kudos to Microsoft for trying to be a positive influence in protecting the democratic process throughout Europe, the United States, Canada, and hopefully soon other countries in the world too. Sticking with Microsoft for this next story, they will be standardizing on SHA-2 encryption for Windows updates from March and going forward. This is a very important update. Older Windows operating systems like Windows 7 and Server 2008 SP1 and SP2 currently use SHA-1. If you do not install the March patch, you will not be able to receive future patches from July 2019 and forward. It's best to just take the patch as soon as you possibly can. I'm pretty sure most organizations are not using Server 2008 SP1 or SP2 anymore, but plenty are using Windows 7. So really think about that for your Windows 7 desktops. Bloomberg.com have reported that Apple intends to make it easier for developers to create apps that work across all Apple iPhones, iPads, and Macs in future. The project, codenamed Marzipan, aims to allow a merge of apps for these devices by 2021 with a kit that's likely to be made available sometime in 2020. This is obviously a very smart move and is in line with what Microsoft has been doing with its universal application standards on Windows 10 devices and its other devices. 
Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing company confirmed that a manufacturing defect caused the Taiwanese foundry to scrap tens of thousands of wafers at one of their facilities. TSMC investigated the matter and found that a photoresist layer used an improperly treated compound that contained foreign polymers. WCCFTech.com reported that the damage was upwards of $550 million. Several companies have been cited as affected, perhaps most importantly graphics chipmaker NVIDIA. At the time of this recording, NVIDIA's stock price has dropped by close to 2% on the news. Pace have released Pace Suite version 5.1 with support for MSIX. The highlights of what you can do with MSIX in Pace Suite includes select the MSIX Apex output package format, create main and modification packages, declare the app capabilities, select the package supported platforms, generate packages for, for all the specified processor architectures at once, combine the generated packages into the bundle, manage the signature settings for packages and bundle, which is a pretty important one because that's probably the biggest pain with MSIX in my opinion so far. Uh, generate the app installer file for the non-store distribution and auto update of your app. Edit your manifest manually during the package building. And finally, control UWP apps like shortcuts and their appearance settings. If you've not played with MSIX yet, you might be like, ah, oh, that all sounds pretty standard. That's just what you would want to do with that. Well, MSIX is a little bit different for some of the manipulations of the package. You may need to use the PSF which isn't very intuitive, even for some very experienced techies. And like I said, I find the signature piece kind of cumbersome. So if Pace have made that a little bit easier through their, their UI, all the better. And on the topic of MSIX, Tim Mangan has released yet another new free tool. This tool is PSF Tooling, which helps you inject the PSF files, create the JSON-based configuration for them, and fix up your shortcuts to use it. The shortcuts is another one that's kind of cumbersome to manipulate right now. So this kind of tool, particularly a free community tool, thanks very much, Tim, is very welcome. Tim also released version 1.4.2.0 of TM Edit with a couple of small fixes. This next story could easily be featured as a tip of the week, but I decided to leave it in the news because it's somewhat of a follow-up to a story from last week's episode. So last week I reported on an article by Microsoft's Chris Jackson in which he suggested that Internet Explorer 11 should no longer be anyone's default browser and should instead be used only for compatibility's sake as required. On last week's episode I suggested using enterprise mode to manage this. Well, Per Larson posted an in-depth article covering management of IE on a modern desktop. The post features managing enterprise mode using Microsoft Intune to get you to the point that by default, when a user tries to launch Internet Explorer 11, they get redirected to Edge. The only time IE should be used is if they go to a site with known compatibility problems in Edge, which would then redirect to IE 11. The article also provides another post on how to remove IE from Windows 10 using Intune. That will be handy when you get to the point of not requiring IE for compatibility going forward at all. Microsoft Teams has had multiple outages this week, both on the morning of the 18th of February and again the night of the 19th of February U.S. time. And while talking about Teams, Citrix CTP James Rankin this week shared an article on how to manage Teams in Citrix if you want to. 
Now, I stress that if you want to. Having been down this road myself already, I wouldn't recommend it, but James's article shows the optimal way to do this if it's a requirement for you. AndroidPolice.com has reported that in future, Google Chrome may allow you to share a link with others to a specific section of an article or site. That would be pretty cool. And now for this episode's hot job. This isn't necessarily for remote work opportunities, and it's not something a listener of the show suggested, but it came to my attention nonetheless. It's something a little different and could be useful for information for some out there. Cloudflare shared a notice that they are hiring and participating in a program called Path Forward with the focus to help ladies who may be trying to return to work after the birth of their child or perhaps even raising their child for a few years, taking a bit of a career break to focus on family. Cloudflare are not the only company participating with Path Forward. This could be a great resource for potential recruits And Cloudflare themselves have said this program has been a really great source of talent for them already. If you know anybody in the tech industry or even not in the tech industry who's looking to get back into work, tell them to check out Path Forward. And now for the weekly webinar. CUGC will be holding a series of webinars on February 27th focused on security. The webinars will feature some Citrix CTP speakers and moderators, as well as some speakers from the Citrix teams itself. I have had the pleasure of being in person for Chris Rogers and Patrick Coble sessions in the past. Trust me, you won't want to miss this. So get yourself under the learning tree. Sign up for the CUGC webinar on February 27th. That's on February 27th. And now for this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. I was a little late to this one, but the great Rachel Berry published a fascinating article on brianmadden.com covering the ever-increasing problems with audio synchronization with various protocols. This is one in a series of articles by Rachel on the topic of modern protocols. She's been doing a really great job of digging into them and has been providing her invaluable findings. So thanks very much, Rachel, for that. And like usual, I don't like to give away people's work on here. I'd rather point you guys to it. The article also features some really great insight provided by Tobias Creedle, who's one of my fellow Citrix CTPs. Audio quality over HTX is a hot topic where I work right now. Finding this article was very timely for me. You may also find it pretty interesting for your own needs. I also had a very short tip this week that I wanted to throw in. Windows CLI Gems on Twitter is an awesome follow, so I recommend you follow that Twitter account. I saw a useful tweet this week on my timeline. A PowerShell commandlet that will get you a list of IPs connected via RDP. This is pretty cool and could be very useful if you need to get that information in a pinch. I'm sure we've all been in a case where we've had issues with environments or application sessions not launching, and you needed to check to see if there were truly sessions left on your RDSH. This could be just the number for that. As always, thank you guys so much for listening.